Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. Question for you. Bring it on. What did you do in this on Saturday nights back in the 70s? I think we both know the answer to that question. And that is at, I think, 9 o'clock was a love boat. And then at, at 10 o'clock was Fantasy Island. And I wasn't allowed to watch either of those shows, but I did. <laughs> Is Were you allowed? Can... I was not allowed. Oh, hell yeah. My parents didn't care. No, I wasn't allowed. That's why but they I, ended up I getting think... divorced, probably. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so okay. we're starting this because before <clears throat> we started recording our podcast today, Liz sent a compilation, it's 46 minutes long, of all of the guests who appeared on Love Boat. And wow. What a throwback it is to uh, more carefree days, at least in our lives, but hilarious. Um, I posted it on my Facebook page, and one of my friends made a very astute observation, which was that, wow, when I watched this, some of these people were supposed to be old, but now that I'm looking at them, they don't look old. You know how it's like, oh, that's the old, like, they're supposed to look like older people, not just adults, but, you know, like seniors, but now they, they don't really look that old. They're probably 50, like us. <laughs> but I was thinking <clears throat> the ones who look like they're, like, 50 in the show probably were 30, just because yeah, that's how no, it was back then. So true. That's so true. Oh, and okay, but some of the people that... You, you, when you see their little cameos, I love how they pose for the little circle. You know, it's like that. It, it's not even necessarily like a candid shot from inside the show. It's like a special pose that they do, kind of like where they turn from the side and look into the camera and wink or something. And some of them, like Michael J. Fox and um, Laurie Ingalls Wilder. No, not her, but Half Pint. What's her name? The actress again? Mary uh, no, Debris. wasn't it Melissa Sue Anderson? Mel no, that's Mel Melissa Sue Gilbert. Melissa Gilbert. No, Melissa, Melissa Gilbert. Melissa Sue yeah. Anderson was Nancy Drew. Okay. But also she was the, was she the blind? No, no, she wasn't answering. She's the blind sister on, um, uh, what's it called on that when, on the show half pint was on. On little house on the prairie, little house on the prairie. See, Melissa Sue Anderson was the blind one. She became blind, right. Right. Yes. And then, Melissa Gilbert was half pint and she was so young on this love boat cameo. And then also there are these like cultural figures that, you know, like, like <laughs> the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, <laughs> right? Like they're, they're, they're in there, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters, there's the Statler brothers. I think that they were a country band. I mean, just like very dated, but also, I don't know. The Bayo brothers. The Bayo the brothers. Bayo, Scott, and Jimmy Bayo. Oh my gosh. Both of the Bayos were on Love Boat. Willie Ames. Oh my God. Willie Adrian. Ames. Eight is enough. Grant Goodeve. He was on. That's another eight is enough family member. Also Dick Van Patten. Oh my God. This Can't is. Can't forget uh, that. Tony Tennille. That, that was awesome. You mentioned Elkie Summer, which was, I countered with Lola Falana. I mean, <laughs> 
if you want to if you want to go we can keep going no um it's so I feel nostalgic when I see it because I just remember and maybe it was because I was a kid or younger is you know it was such a simpler time um these are just people they weren't like I didn't hate their guts because they were out spewing political bile all day long on Twitter (laughs) they were just people (laughs) they played characters they were just cheesy people looking for a cameo with Gopher and washed up sitcom stars you know what do you do after one day at a time you know Schneider he's Pat Harrington he was on there um (laughs) You know, when not everybody mar- marries enough. Eddie Van Halen, like at Valerie Bertinelli. So, you know, anyway, mm-hmm. well, it made me nostalgic. I think it's appropriate, though, Liz, because the 1970s are back. I wish th- I wish they were literally back, although Only the bad part, the bad parts are back, but not the good parts. And I feel like ripped off. You know, if we're going to have inflation, we're going to have gas prices being very high. I'm sure um, interest will go up from zero what it is now to like 20% in no time. Um, you know, and I guess, did we have food shortages in the 70s? I was think I was probably too young to remember th- that kind of thing. Well, because they're basically, you went to one grocery store too. That's I mean, true. it's not like, you know, and there was no DoorDash. It's not like we ran around to different, all kinds of different restaurants. I mean, no, that's basically true. like, mcdonald's or red lobster here in the suburbs you remember, of chicago like, your your parents would be like i'm going to the store and you knew what they meant right like today if <laughs> you said i'm going to the store th- there could be 40 different options in like two miles going. yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> so i don't know but it is like the 70s that's a um, very good observation and definitely there, i'm feeling the malaise Yes. Of the Carter malaise again. And we're having some didn't Iran just storm into the American embassy in Yemen. So it's like, you know, we've problems with Iran and the embassy again, you know, an embassy, the whole thing. Maybe and Ted Koppel will sh- will start up his show again. We can count down all oh the my God. We have a thousand Ted Koppels now. All <laughs> each one dumber than the one before it. But remember, too, that was like a must watch. Like your parents were like. We have to see what's happening with the hostages. And it's like day 53. Dan Rather. I remember when I was a little girl, my we were watching, I guess Dan Rather was CBS. I guess, yeah, it was CBS. And my father turned to me and he said, Elizabeth, Dan Rather could ruin God's birthday party. From a young age, my parents were conservative and you know and so that's that was one thing I remember the most is my father always hated Dan Rather even when I was just a little baby kid so <laughs> I grew up like that Proper. smart a wise man Dr. yeah Schultz. very wise yeah very wise yes. so let's we have like a bunch of great things to talk about we have a, a lot of things going on the unraveling of our cultural fabric uh unraveling of law and order <laughs> um yeah, it's just a lot of stuff to pick from. But the hot the hot story this week is the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial. Kyle Rittenhouse, who um, watered the Tree of Liberty. I don't know. I've heard some people say that. I'm just repeating it. I'm just repeating what I hear. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was is a is a 
I think he's 18 now, but he was 17 when this happened. He was in Kenosha during that particular riot and looting episode in the summer, last in the summer of 2020. He was there to protect a friend's business from what had already been two days of looting, rioting, arson. Um, and there was an incident. He shot and killed two people and wounded a third of uh, not victims because the judge in this case will not allow them to be called victims. Uh, yeah. And so, so now there is a trial. I watched two days of trial. I watched the testimony. I mean, I saw clips of the stuff that people were putting out. But then when Kyle got on the stand, I wanted to see that and then the cross-exam of that. So I watched all of that. And I might say I watched it on a live stream with a bunch of lawyers, kind of like a Mystery Theater 3000 situation. And yeah, that's great. It was Where great. can people find that? Because I found that um, really entertaining. Let me look. Let me find it. I still have um, the window open somewhere here because I think there's a hearing today. Oh, um, it's on Rakieta Law, R-E-K-I-E-T-A Law. I'll put it in the our show notes. But oh, he's got a bunch of, of lawyers, some of whom you may know, great lawyers like Ron Coleman, who's one of my favorite people, one of my favorite lawyers and yeah. also a great Twitter follower, um, Viva Fry and uh, I can't remember Barnes's first name. Um, Robert. Robert. Robert Barnes, sorry. Uh, there they pop in and out and other people. It's just really great to hear lawyers. Some of them are defense lawyers. So they're very cri criminal defense lawyers. So they're very in tune with the ambiance in a courtroom and a criminal uh, uh, prosecution and a criminal trial. So the, the real issue surrounding this and a lot of people on the right, we know the details. We're very well informed on the details. Um, about this because you know this is probably one of the most if not the most visible instance of somebody sort of fighting back against the act the anarchy and lawlessness and crime sprees and violence that went on last summer on you know masquerading as some kind of civil rights operation but um the kyle has pretty decent lawyers the prosecution the prosecutor is literally the worst fucking lawyer i've ever seen ever anywhere like mm -hmm. even in on tv shows and like the simpsons where lionel hutz was the lawyer on the simpsons cartoon <laughs> he's better than this lawyer um and this lawyer is not the da usually like the da takes a very high profile case you know so he can be the guy swinging his dick around like look at me right. fight crime for the community the da is Miss MIA is this is not the DA. So this is some assistant prosecutor who is really terrible. Um, and his uh, his own, I guess, second chair, who is a heavy set man that people call Fatlock instead of Matlock, which <laughs> I found that kind of funny. Um, like this it. is from the other defense lawyers. And so, again, let me get back on track here. I think the big story about this is how poorly the media is portraying what is actually happening in the trial. And as someone who is, has been watching the last 48 hours or 72 hours of this trial, I cannot believe how dangerous, how dangerously reckless the media is portraying what is going on in this trial in order to 
I guess, have a maximum shock effect if Kyle is acquitted of these. And based on what I've seen, the prosecution has made the defense's case for self-defense. I mean, they could have just let it ended it when the prosecution was done putting on its witnesses. That's how bad it went. And we can get into more details. But the media is just lying about what is said and what is happening at these each day or, you know, on each development they want to highlight. It's it's absolutely unbelievable. There are people walking around who who literally think that the um, now I can't remember the name of the guy that had the gun pointed at Kyle when he shot him, the guy whose um, uh, bicep he, he blew off. Oh. They they think that guy is like he was on, of course, I think CNN or MSNBC portraying him, giving himself the hero edit. Um you know, talking about how he was afraid that Kyle Rittenhouse was an active shooter. This is what mm-hmm. he said. He thought he was an act. He was just randomly started firing on the people attacking him for no reason. So, so Liz, because be- you've been because you follow this <clears throat> a lot more closely than I have, and maybe a lot of our listeners. But let's talk about the low lifes behind what happened in Kenosha, from Jacob Blake to the other yes. two. Yes. To victims, gentlemen, as Kyle Rittenhouse continues to call them very politely. Who are these lowlifes that we're supposed to be upset about that? First, let's let's go to the very beginning and talk about who Jacob Blake was. So Jacob Blake um, was shot by police after they were called to an apartment building. They were called by a woman who was. Jacob Blake, I believe, had broken into her apartment. I think it it was his ex-girlfriend. And she had a restraining order against Jacob Blake for sexually assaulting her, um, shoving his fingers in her vagina in front of her child. And so she Mm -hmm. got a restraining order against him. He violated the restraining order and went into, entered her apartment. And so she called the police. So that's just the beginning that we're setting the stage. This is the person who is the inspiration and the hero. You know, uh, we see the left make fun of, oh, Kyle is the it, Kyle Rittenhouse is the mascot of the right. OK, well, your mascot is Jacob Blake then, because that's in his name. <laughs> that, that, that's what you burned down the city can burn down and looted Kenosha for. Didn't so like police- um, Drew Brees or somebody ha- put Jacob Blake's name on his helmet? Something probably. Okay. I don't, I don't, the NFL is just dead to me. So I just don't know who any of these people are anymore. I don't know their names and I don't care and they can all fuck off. But good point. Good point. So Jacob Blake, the, the police came to uh, help a woman in distress. Okay. From a restraining order viola- violator, a domestic, vi- uh, a domestic batterer who had violated a restraining order. He disregarded the police's orders to stay still, put his show his hands to for, stop, to stop moving. And Jacob Blake kept walking. He ha- went to his car and got a knife and he had a knife in his hand. And so the cops shot him. And apparently that was too much. And so then we had. And they shot him like in the leg, not in the head or anything. Like No, he's, he's paralyzed. They shot oh. him in the back. Oh, he that's got shot okay. seven times in the back. Because of the way he turned, like when he went to go bend down and he went to bend down and get something in his car. And, 
you know, it's easy for people to fantasize about all the options that the cops had in hindsight. They could have just said, no, don't do that. Or, but you, but in real time, you have half of a second to decide what he's pulling out of his car. This is why the police say, show your hands and don't move. That's for your protection as much as their protection. And again, I want to make sure everyone knows if you're a longtime happy hour listener, you know, Julie and I don't like the cops. So we're not we're not simps to the cops. No, I'm just explaining from a tactical perspective. The cops ask you to put their hands up and not move for your safety, just like theirs. But Mr. Blake could not be bothered with that. He went in and he went to grab something. So the police have literally half of a second to decide what is he getting? Is he getting a, a diet Pepsi? You know, is he getting his cell phone? Is he pulling out an Uzi? Is he, gr- we, you don't know. And so he was shot because they didn't know. And it turned out it was a knife, which is also a deadly weapon. And is, you know, there's, your people die from being stabbed every year. So, yes. and so Jacob Blake is not dead. He is paralyzed. Um, I remember just a fun fact that his father is a big Farrakhan follower. And then Joe Biden went and met with his father. This was before the oh. election. Oh. And I think Kamala Harris and Joe Biden went to meet with Jacob Blake's father, the Farrakhan um, acolyte. And that was fine. No one cared. It was fine to hang out with Farrakhan. No, no one worried. So then because of that, we had rioting. And um, just like we had earlier in the summer, I think this happened in August, we had all sorts of rioting, looting, burning burning things down, assaulting cops, throwing rocks. And of course, the police were told to stand down. So this was happening and this, the city of Kenosha was getting absolutely just destroyed, Torch. burned down. So yeah. that, that, and that's what happened. And on the third day, I mean, it's, it's, it's a long kind of story, but a friend of Kyle's, had asked Kyle to help him protect one of the business owners' properties where that was at the center of this. Um, it was a car lot, I think. And so Kyle bar- borrowed an AR-15 from his friend that he had paid for but couldn't legally own because he is 17 and you can't own a long gun until you're 18. And then, of course, Kyle lives in Illinois, which, you know, you need a FOID card that sh- – in order to own a gun in in the People's Republic of Illinois. So he couldn't actually possess his gun, but his friend had kept the gun and he said, you know, let's take the gun and to protect himself. Why do they need to protect themselves? Because they're violent arsonist criminals that are destroying the city. That's why, you know, it's at night and they were, you know, burning things. And when we, subsequent video came out of the night in question, and you could see there's a very violent situation. Um, many ma- at many points, it's a very violent situation. So that's what that's what happened. So what I didn't know and learned is that before during the day, or well before the first um, Kyle shot his first person, the first person, um, this uh, what's oh my gosh, how could I not remember his name? Is Applebaum? I uh, Okay, I it's I, not Apple Mom. I can't believe I can't remember that. You know why? It's it I remember. I remember who was on. You know, it's a living, and that and Jillian was on, but I can't remember <laughs> that the name of this guy right now. Um, the, J, something or other. Oh my gosh! But uh, he's sort guy. of like uh, George Floyd. He's going to have all kinds of statues and whatnot, even though right, he'll be a hero. 
Yeah. He had threatened Kyle. He told Kyle and another friend of Kyle's, if I find you alone, I'm going to kill you. So this was well before the actual event in question. And I guess what Kyle Rittenhouse had done was he had stopped a dumpster that was literally on fire from heading into a gas station. Okay. Again, a dumpster fire on fire being pushed into a gas station by these Antifa BLM crowds. Okay, it's Joseph so, Rosenbaum. Joseph Anthony, Rosenbaum. I was close. Anthony Huber. Thank, you're close. Thank you for looking. He looking was not at, on the love boat, though. So No. Well, that's why I don't know him. Exactly. Obviously, if it wasn't a sitcom in the 70s, I don't know him. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so that's kind of how it starts. So Rittenhouse had put out this fire and it gotten, I guess it had drew the ire of the, the some of these hooligans and i guess kyle walked was walking away and then um he was pursued by this well we later found out he's a, a i believe he's a pedophile he was a convicted pedophile is that right julie yeah several times over right so he is this is joseph rosenbaum he is convict he has been convicted um hold on of I think, and these are young kids, young young boys that he's accused. Yeah, this isn't of, like she was seventeen and I was eighteen. It's of assaulting. Like that. That's right, right. Um, he was sentenced to prison for sexually abusing five children, boys between the ages of nine and ten, nine and eleven. Excuse me. Um, so he's a convicted felon, level three offender. Um, and then the other delight, Anthony Huber. Uh, he also is has been convicted of domestic abuse, assault and battery, uh, and possessing an illegal weapon. So these are the these are the lovely, delicate flowers that were attacked by Kyle Rittenhouse. Yes, and so that was the first. So this now before this this gentleman Rosenbaum was chasing Kyle. Why? I don't know, because in the video, you can hear Kyle sh- shouting, friendly, friendly, friendly. He had gone there to also do be a medic, like he had had medical supplies. Um, he seems like, you know, he was like a do-gooder. You know, he wanted to be like a hero type guy, which is sure. fine. He's a young man. I mean, everybody should kind of aspire to be a helpful, I guess. Right. Um, and then he was being chased by this Rosenbaum character. And well... Rosenbaum was chasing him, there was a shot. We don't really know who fired that shot. Um, But obviously, I think Kyle thought he was being shot at. And when he turned around, Rosenbaum said, fuck you, and lunged to take his gun. And that is when Kyle shot him four times, very quickly. This all happened very quickly. And then I guess, you know, once he realized what, I'm going to give a very condensed version of this. Once he realized what he did, he started to go walk towards the police. The police are just like down a couple blocks. They're just not doing jack shit, right? You know, there's fires. Sure. Um, fighting a lot of a lot of people had guns. It wasn't just Kyle. A lot of people have guns. And he was attacked while he was trying to get to the police and he tripped and fell down. He got kicked in the head. He got hit in the head with a skateboard. Um, and then and yet and he shot and killed some another attacker who was kicking him in the I think the guy was kicking him in the head. And then you had the last person who isn't dead, but who had his bi- his bicep pulver vaporized as he said on the stand yesterday or the day before um he was approaching he put his hands up and kyle was on the ground and then 
he had a gun in his hand and then he moved it and pointed towards Kyle's head. So Kyle shot him. He shot his bicep. I mean, and then he turned into Quinn Hillier at the Washington Examiner because he lost his bicep. Look, it's time someone made the conservative case against self-defense, right? (laughs) Why you shouldn't be allowed. You can always count on the Washington Examiner or National Review. If you're getting attacked. Yes. So the real issue here is, to me, this is, as as someone, I know you probably watched a lot of this too and know, you know, at the time, this was last year, in tw- last it was almost it was a year ago, over a year ago. Um, we paid a lot of attention to it. You know, it seemed like a very clear cut of self defense. You know, he wasn't he wasn't an aggressor. He didn't provoke anybody. He was trying to get away. He kept saying he was friendly. It seemed like these were self defense, obvious self defense situation. A very clear cut of self defense. Um, the left doesn't is not about that. They want to say that, you know, he had a gun, which meant he was a homicidal maniac. But the other people there that were rioting and looting had guns. But that doesn't matter. (laughs) So not those not those people. Um, So there's a lot of spinning around the details of this case, but also around what's going on in the trial. And um, a couple days ago, there was some blue check mark. I, I can't remember her name. But I give her props for saying this. She said, today is the first time I heard that Kyle Rittenhouse had the people that were shot by Kyle Rittenhouse were all white. See, that's that they want. Right. So how can you be a racist white supremacist when you shot three white people? Can you explain that? If you lie to the people, if you lie to the people and mislead them about what happened, then the. I mean, think about it. This woman who, you know, says I'm fairly well read and educated and today is the first day I've heard that the victims of Kyle Rittenhouse were white. So the only thing the left has is the race card. They, that's all they have. They can say that they're doing all the looting and all the violence in the name of, of you know, addressing racial uh, inequities or some shit like that. That's how they do it. What do you do when you have a situation where a white guy shoots three people who white people who are attacking him? How do you spin that to your favor? Obviously, you're racist. I mean. You lie. Right. Let me just give you, let me just tell you how desperate, I want to give you an example of how desperate the media is to try and pervert this into something that isn't a clear case of self, of self-defense. CNN published yesterday, I'm not even joking when I tell you the title of the article, Judge in Kyle Rittenhouse Trial Makes Inappropriate Asian Food Joke. That's the title. So I watched this as it happened. First, I was like, what the hell are they talking about? Because I actually was watching it live as the judge said it. And he made a joke. He said, he said, oh, well, we'll take a really quick lunch. And then he goes, oh, I hope the Asian food we ordered isn't on any of those boats anchored outside the California coast trying to get in. Like he, it was a stupid joke. It was like an old person's joke. And his point was, we, we're going to have a quick lunch. I hope it doesn't – basically, I hope it doesn't take long to deliver deliver the food. But <laughs> CNN's headline is that, that the judge made an inappropriate Asian food joke. Now, the media fucking hates this judge so much. And I fucking love this judge so much because this judge is legitimately one of the very few – people involved in the legal system anymore that actually cares about the system. Most of the people 
the lawyers that are involved in all the court processes, federal, state, these people are not, they have no respect for the system. Whether they win or lose, they know that the most important thing is that we have to protect the integrity of the system so that people believe in the system. Because when people don't believe in the system anymore, you have vigilantism. So this judge has been very, very um, careful to make sure that this everything is fair here. But when things are fair, the left doesn't like that because it's not enough to be fair. <laughs> you know, right. you have to be partial. So the one of the big things that caused a lot of controversy was that the judge would not let the prosecutors call Apple, uh, Rosenbaum and the two other people um, victims because yeah, that. that's kind of what's up for up for you know just in the case right what were they victims or were they you know were they aggressors were they predators <clears throat> right were they perpetrators right you know um so that immediately set them off and they don't like it because he's been very strict with the prosecutor the prosecutor like i said is just terrible and they just don't like it because it's not enough to be fair you know, it, oh. it you have to be biased against the conservatives. So anyway, yeah, the media's just been terrible on this. And I think there's going to be a lot of violence if Kyle gets off. Now, it's hard to say what a jury thinks, but he did. I think that the case was really made that Kyle was was acting in self-defense. <clears throat> the only thing he's guilty of is he u- using a, a firearm when he was not old enough to use a firearm. Um, but you never know what a jury's going to do. And if he does get um, if he does get acquitted, I think there's going to be terrible riots. And a lot of it and, and a big part of that is because the media is misleading the the public about what happened and what is going on and the, what information is coming out of this trial. So people are believe there is a grave injustice. So, that's, um, well, what was funny and you've covered it that was a great explainer because, you know, people are just snatching clips here and there, not really familiar with the, all the background, the details of what transpired that night. So that's very helpful. What I thought was hilarious was the few times that Kyle got and he was very respectful to this wretched prosecutor. Yeah. But the couple times, even with his kind of deadpan responses to questions like. He was asking about video games and he's like, well, oh, yeah, don't you in video games use, you know, long guns or machine guns and weapons to try to kill each other. And Kyle's like, yeah, but it's not real life. It's a video game. Like how he talks. So like kind of slow and sounds kind of innocent. Like it was just that was hilarious. That was great. And then there was another one, I think. The prosecutor was trying to get information about hollow bullets. I mean, you're you're a firearms expert, so and I I'm not, so you would understand this. But he was like, let's say you shot a deer with a hollow bullet, doesn't it enter and then explode? And Kyle's like, uh, I don't think so. So there were a couple of funny moments, but yes, the judge was not happy. But to your point, how that affects a jury, 
who knows? I mean, I know people were also complaining about the defense a few times that they didn't really step in when they needed to. I don't know. Did they need to? Because it seemed like the judge was really keeping yeah, a tight think- leash on them. But also there was speculation that the prosecutors wanted the judge yeah. to move for a mistrial because yes. of how poorly they were handling the prosec- their their entire case. I think that that's quite believable because it, it seemed like they were not prepared. They had not prepared their witnesses. They hadn't gone through and and practiced. You know, this is generally you they you kind of go over what's your testimony. You know, one of the um, big sayings in court is you never ask a question you don't know the answer to. You know, if you're a lawyer in court, but this prosecutor basically made the case the defense's cases he was so unfamiliar with what his witnesses were testifying were going to testify to and so it began to look like this guy was trying to get 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 a a mistrial so he could do it over and the judge warned him because the judge I think was very unhappy that his own orders had been disregarded when he said you can't do this you can't go go you can't ask about this you can't you can't go in this direction. And the prosecutor would just do it. And finally, the judge said, you know, I'll I'll dismiss this with prejudice, which means you cannot refile it. Mm -hmm. So there would be no do over. The judge was like there, you know, and I think the judge really wants this to go to a jury. I I got the sense that he really cared about the institution and the process, you know, that it's important that this kid gets a fair, a fair shake. And it goes through the system instead of this, the, these, kangaroo courts and um you know just setups where you there's not going to be any justice um and kyle's lucky he has a he has pretty decent lawyers better than Mm -hmm. a lot of people have yeah um you know if you have a shitty lawyer and you're going up against the state you know federal or at, at the state level i mean you're 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 in a lot of trouble so um one other one other interesting thing to point out is that I think they're going to finish next week. So there should be a jury. It should go to the jury pretty soon. Um, they also don't like the judge because his ringtone is proud to be an American by Lee Greenwald. <laughs> Green, yeah, I'm not kidding. Lee Greenwood. This I heard is all that. A, big, a lot of people were like, well, he has to get out. He has to disqualify. Can you imagine saying I love my country? And they're like, okay, you that like that song, which is like a, proud song about America that, you know, no, you can't, you can't, um, you can't be the judge. In fact, uh, Rolling Stone had um, another misleading, I mean, we had the CNN headline about the racist judge who made a joke about Asian food, which really wasn't about Asians at all. Um, Rolling Stone has an article today, and the title is something like, judge asks the jury to clap for the defense witness. Okay, so here's what that is. Really, I was like, what? As someone who watched it, I was like, what the hell are they talking about? The judge started the trial yesterday by asking everyone in the courtroom to give a round of applause to our veterans because it was Veterans Day. That's what. Didn't they also, it, somebody pointed out that he has like a flag like. Yes, he has Phoenix an American flag Fox on his cover. Hotel. Yeah. God, for, well, I will tell you this. After listening to months of federal judges in Washington, D.C. and what just despicable clowns they are, every single one of them from Trump appointees all the way down to Reagan appointees. 
Um, it's refreshing to see a judge who actually loves his country and understands his limitations and wants to enforce what we all expect the rules will would be in a courtroom, uh, because that is certainly not as what's happening in Washington D.C. So, just well, from my vantage point, really, it was refreshing. Yeah. Well, I think the judge has done a good job of making sure that Kyle's civil rights are respected as well. Now, normally, this would be something the left would be down with, right? Is that the defendant right. is oh, getting God, yeah. right? Yep. They they're all about that, except now they don't want the defendant to get have his civil rights. Um, observe because the judge literally went off on the prosecutor when the prosecutor said to Kyle Rittenhouse, well, why have you been quiet this whole time? You know, like as if, you know, yeah. are you, is it cause you're guilty? And the judge was like, Oh fuck hell no. And then the lawyers who are, there's like seven lawyers that are commenting at the same time. They were all like, Ooh, like you can't ask about that. Everybody knows that you have a fifth amendment protection. He didn't, he didn't make any public statements for a year. You know, he wasn't trying to be a celebrity. And so to have a prosecutor who knows damn well that you can't say, well, why were you quiet all this time? Right. You know, what were you what were you doing? What were you listening to what other people were saying? And anyway, the judge just lost his shit. And so, you know, that's kind of um, it's it's reassuring to see this. So. So I'm what sure happens more. next? Is it they're wrapping up today or what, what's no, what's they're next? having I think they're not. I don't think that there's anyone testifying today. I think they're working out jury instructions, if I understand correctly. But there's not. There's not any testimony. I think the defense is done. The big issue was, and this was a kind of funny moment in the case, is that the de- the prosecution wanted to take a photo that had been put on an iPad and pinch and, and spread or whatever to make it zoom. larger. Zoom. Pinch right. and zoom. And, okay. And so to, I guess to show I who knows what, right, that they are, you know, desperate for anything. And the defense was like, wait a minute, you can't do that because when you do that, you are altering the actual image that there's an artificial intelligence algorithm that is predicting what should be in the place as you make it larger. And so the judge, you know, I mean, he's, you know, he doesn't look like he's like a tech boy, right? I mean, he could not, they had made, they had made a motion about it and then the defense hadn't objected to it. So the judge was like, all right, fine. But then they had gotten a bunch of extra evidence in the middle of the court and in the middle of the trial. And they didn't know that they would, this would be on the table. So there was some kerfuffles about whether this was going to be admitted into evidence. If, if the act of, you know, pinching and zooming was um, literally altering the image because it was creating what should be in the spaces that were being enlarged, you're altering the actual image. So anyway, I think next week it's going to the jury is the next thing. So you're talking about closing arguments and instructions to the jury. Okay. So, okay. What What do you, I think, what do you think is going to happen? Do you have any guesses? um, I don't really know anything about the jury. I think if they're local, if they're local to Kenosha, if they live in that area, um, you know, I think they would be, I think that they would acquit him because they saw what these monsters had gone unchecked. The police were not stopping any of this violence. Can you, 
if you when you watch the videos of what happened, some of that were taken by Drew Hernandez and other people that were on the ground there as journalists. Of course, no mainstream media was there because they they don't leave their coastal palaces to come right. in the flyover country. Um, there are houses around. I mean, these people are th- looting and destroying and setting fires in where there's houses and people live. So the cops weren't doing anything. So, you know, this is this Kyle Rittenhouse wasn't going to die. You know, he wasn't going to let these people kill him. And they were screaming, kill him and kill him. So I think if it's a local, like a lot of people are local on the jury that, you know, I think they're going to quit him. I don't know how you can possibly think that this kid came there premeditated, ready to murder people when he never really shot. He never shot anyone who wasn't attacking him. You know, he wasn't opening fire on crowds of people standing around. So, but I, it's, I don't know. And I think that, but my inclination is, and I've been surprised before is that he's going to get mostly acquitted, maybe on a lesser charge. Um, But I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of riots and it's going to be really interesting to see how that's handled. Well, it will be because it's sort of miraculous that after the election, Black Lives Matter and all their protests and riots have just completely disappeared over the past year. Like they're just gone. Yeah. Well, um, you know, now that Joe Biden got the most votes of any president in the history of the world ever, ever. You know, every all, all there's no more. All is right. You know, all is right. <laughs> Meanwhile, Joe Biden called Kyle Rittenhouse, a white supremacist. There are so many people came out and called him a white supremacist, but Joe Biden said it too before the election. Um, This idea that everybody needs to weigh in and get involved in what's supposed to be literally the the, the lady holding up the scales of justice is blind for a reason. You know, you're not supposed to do things like this. And like Obama, who interfered in all of these social justice prosecutions, you know, Biden came in and said, Kyle is a white supremacist. Meanwhile, I know Julie on the J6 beat, you don't, certainly don't see any Republicans sticking up for the victims of, you know, that these people that are still in prison without, you know, can't get bail. Um, right. Some of them are charged with violent violence and, you know, they're going to come up for trial. I don't know. Whenever <laughs> they're just held in jail. So, oh, not till the middle of next year. I mean, the trials are. Do you want to give us an, a quick update? Like, what's going on in the J6 world? Yeah. So, um, what's happening? Basically, the uh, you know continuing to delay. DOJ continues to delay discovery. Now it's going to be January of 2022, a full year before they have all of their discovery obligations met, which they said was going to be met in October. They said September. So they keep pushing that back. The judges continue to allow them to get away with this. You have defense attorneys who cannot prepare their clients for, for trial uh, because they don't have all of the evidence. You know, they've got tens of thousands of hours of surveillance video, body worn camera footage. They've got hundreds of thousands of pages of FBI documents, they said, which should be really revealing once we get to a few of these trials. Uh, if if these people don't plead out before then, which in many cases, I hope they don't, because it's the only way that we'll be able to see the FBI's involvement in what happened before and during that day. 
So, but what the big news this week was Judge Tanya Chutkin, an Obama appointee who continues to give prison time to trespassers, low-level misdemeanor offenses over the recommendation of the DOJ, which in many cases just wants these people like on home confinement or probation, she's instead throwing them in jail for 45, 60 days to send a message to would-be terrorists. So she ruled this week in Trump's motion uh, to invoke executive privilege to stop Nancy Pelosi, Benny Thompson, the chair of the January 6th Select Committee, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, Adam Schiff, all the horrible human beings who are on that committee to stop them from getting basically all White House documents, communications, meeting logs, phone logs, in many instances dating back to April of 2020. This has nothing to do with January 6th. They want to get all the private communications, everything related to the election. They want any communications related to, say, Dominion voting systems, to QAnon, the Proud Boys, uh, anything that discusses absentee mail-in ballots. So they are trying to really construct a case that um, Trump was planning ahead of time to thwart the election, then overturn the election after November, using that to incite the quote-unquote insurrection on January 6th. So Tanya Chutkin, of course, now in an unprecedented move, again, Joe Biden twice as the incumbent president has denied the former president's request for executive privilege, which has never happened before. Usually, as you know, Liz, that's customary that. Yeah. You want to protect the office. Right. Because if if President DeSantis wins in 2024, Biden probably doesn't want him allowing the release of all the records of the Biden administration. Right. So you can only so the National Archives houses all of the presidential materials, I believe, for five years. Then it can be released after five years unless there's a request and unless there's some either judicial you know, interference or relief to allow them to release it early. So here we're talking about not even a full year in many cases. They want everything that happened up till January 20th of 2021. So the National Archives, of course, was like, sure, we'll hand it all over. And then Trump appealed to Biden. Biden's lawyer twice wrote a letter and said, no, the events of January 6th were so unprecedented. That's where they always use that. We are going to deny his request for executive privilege. Now, funny, because, of course, this has to do directly with Joe Biden. Right. It's not like he's an uninterested party. This was attempts to to expose a stolen election that benefited him. So the conflicts of interest are all over the place. doesn't matter. Tanya Chutkin sided with Joe Biden um, and so denied Trump. It There was um, an injunction then by the D.C. Circuit, which is basically the appellate court. So I think some documents were, start, were going to be produced starting today to the committee. So I think that's on hold until the end of the month while uh, the circuit takes a look at this. Um, but look, the circuit court is not any better, in my opinion, than the D.C. District Court um, as far as it relates to January 6th. So it looks like thousands of pages are going to start being produced to this committee um, more on a rolling basis, as the committee has has warned. So and, you know, it's going to go right to people oh, like it's going right to the New York Times. It's going to it's right going to right, going right to Adam Goldman. So that's where we are. Yeah. But let's pivot because we're we're. New York Times. So 
this is such a racket, right? So <laughs> you, like you said, they're going to leak this to Adam Goldman or to Devlin Barrett, someone, right? Because those are their propagandists. Those are their fluffers in the media. They're going to do whatever the fuck these horrible Democrats want and people like Liz Cheney, which is what happened this week, actually yesterday. Uh, James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, the FBI raided his home. Was it last Saturday? I'm I'm like in a time Yeah, I walk. think it was last weekend. Like the FBI is doing to citizens across the country, hundreds of Americans beat down his front, I guess, the, of his apartment. This is the FBI, you know, screaming for him to come out. I think they cuffed him, maybe throw him up against the wall. This was what, to get Ashley Biden's diary or find out where it was? That was the pretext. Um, so I think they took his phone. They um, extracted. But wait, this is about this. Let's just go back, Julie. Okay, you're right. This, let's not get ahead this of our issue. I just want to like I did not w- when this story broke that about they had raided James O'Keefe's home and some other employees. I learned that apparently Ashley Biden's diary had been public made public a year earlier. Did you know this? I did. Well, not until that. I had no, no idea. No, that's what I'm saying. It's like, right. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> this happened did, a like, year ago. I, right. Like what? I, first of all, I didn't even know. Second of all, it took a year, like a year to go. And I'm not sure how Project Veritas was involved. They didn't publish it. They weren't the entity that published it. So what, how was Project Veritas involved in the in the diary, like what was the crime? I don't know. Did they, I think some, somebody gave them the diary. I don't think they took the diary. Right. But did they, okay. But then that's not someone. Okay. Wait. So first of all, Ashley Biden's diary isn't classified material. If I, (laughs) okay. Yes, it is Liz. It is. How, (laughs) if someone gave it to him, how is that? How is that a crime? Any le- more of a crime than, I don't know, reading off the transcript of a call that Mike Flynn had <laughs> with the Russian ambassador in December of 2016. I don't know. Right. Which is or actually say, very classified. Or say leaking, you know, a FISA warrant. The details of a FISA warrant. text yeah. message pictures for, with a FISA warrant from the Senate Intel Committee. I don't know. Right. All right. Okay. You know what, though? It just... Every time you think the FBI cannot stoop any lower, that they cannot. But now they're just like throwing it in our face. Like, yeah, OK, now we're going after journalists who to protect Joe Biden. I mean, just like they did with the New York. I mean, this is what this is what this FBI is is all about. And it's just it's sickening to think how empowered they are. It's maddening that no Republicans are speaking out against this. The only thing they got upset about was the school board memo thing. OK, that's fine. But there's so many more things going on, and they are just, as usual, flat-footed, coward, silent, just, anyway, we won't go into all those details because, of course, our our listeners are well aware of that. Um, but apparently, the uh, communications, privileged communications between Project Veritas and their lawyers were somehow leaked to the New York Times and Adam Goldman. So this was pointed out on Twitter last night. This is what the Times reported. Project Veritas has long occupied a gray area between investigative journalism and political spying. Ha ha, New York Times. Really? (laughs) 
The New York Times reveals the extent to which the group has worked with its lawyers to gauge how far its deceptive reporting practices can go before running afoul of federal laws. Again, LOL New York Times, pot, kettle, black. The documents, a series of memos written by the group's lawyer, detail ways for Project Veritas sting operations, which typically diverge from standard journalistic practice by employing people who mask their real identities or create fake ones to infiltrate target organizations, to avoid breaking federal statutes such as the law against lying to government officials. There's so much irony in those two paragraphs coming from the New York Times. Um, Well, I just want to point out, I want to make sure everybody understands just how fucked this is. James O'Keefe is suing the New York Times. There you go. And the FBI gave the New York Times Project Veritas communications with their attorneys. Hello? (laughs) Uh Right. I mean, what the fuck? Right. Not just violating the, you know, the, the, the privilege that Project Veritas has with all the different attorneys they've talked to just because, because that's, that's the law, but then giving the the lawyer communications to the New York times who is actually being sued by Project Veritas. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's like, if you make, nobody would believe you if you made, if you, if you tried to like make this up, people would be like, no, that's not possible. It's so crazy. I don't know. And then, I mean, just the flagrancy of it to do to do this, as you just explained, there's so many moving parts to this Um, because, Liz, they know that they can get away with it. Yeah. When you when no one was punished for what happened. Now we know, of course, again, with the Danchenko, Igor Danchenko uh, indictment, which we talked about last week. So just more proof, again, that the Steele dossier was complete garbage political propaganda, but it was used as the pretext, not just for a crossfire hurricane, uh, for the media's accusation before and after the election for years that Trump was uh, compromised by the Russians, for uh, Robert Mueller's two-year probe, where apparently he couldn't uncover all of this, but, you know, could go after who? Um, uh, Roger Stone. And so, but when no journalist was punished, which they could be because they are handling classified information. So if James O'Keefe isn't somehow protected by what he's doing, but people like Adam Goldman, Devlin Barrett, you know, all these people, especially those two newspapers are protected, taking classified information, lying, misrepresenting what was in it say it's a FISA warrant, a call between Mike Flynn and Sergey Kislyak, whatever it was, lying to their readers, smearing, vilifying people. There's an interesting piece by Paul Sperry in Real Clear Investigations this week about Sergey Millian, who they made all kinds of accusations about him. These same newspapers, Wall Street Journal and Washington Post. Um, and they still refuse to apologize to him and retract their stories and say that they were wrong. No one has been fired. Not one Editor, journalist, commentator, columnist has been fired for lying for years about Russiagate. Not one. So now they are emboldened. And now the FBI is emboldened because, of course, that's where it all originated from. You have the It's more than emboldened, right? It worked. That's the big thing. So no matter what happens with Durham, right, or whatever Durham, whoever Durham's going to get, whatever's going to come of that, um, or, you know, McCabe getting fired and now he's fine. He has his pension back. Ugh. Whatever 
whatever does happen with Durham, all they need to know is that their operation worked. They got what they wanted. You know, I mean, Mueller didn't have to come up with anything because that was just kind of like icing on the cake. The real purpose was to stonewall and gum up the works of a Trump administration and, and get away with it. And it worked. So, of course, they're going to do it again. Well, How long is it going to take to catch up, you know, play the, catch up on this? Um, this was part of um, Tucker's interview with Tom and Sharon Caldwell, who I've also interviewed and written about. They were he was the alleged oath keeper dragged out of his house, disabled veterans at you know 530 in the morning by FBI agents. So as the FBI is in their home, ransacking their home, taking their devices, taking all their family photographs trashing a, a antique vehicle that uh, that Caldwell had. Sharon says well, the phone rings. It's the and they, of course, they're older people. They still have an answering machine. And she could hear on the answering machine. It was Washington Post reporter calling to speak with them for comment about their F, what was happening in their case. They didn't even know what yeah. they were being charged with at that point. They hadn't even seen a warrant. They had not even seen a criminal complaint. There was no indictment against them. But here's the Washington Post calling them as the FBI is in their house. Thomas Caldwell sitting there in handcuffs and these fuckers call because they've been tipped off by the lowlife scumbags at the FBI. Disgusting. Yeah, I mean, how does this ever end? How? Yeah, no, it's really it's really dirty to have that incestuous relationship between the media and the intelligence apparatus. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when the journalism was supposed to kind of who watches the watchers, right? Like they were keep right. needed to keep things in check. And right. now it's like they're one. It's one big giant racket mess. I mean, they're it's, a mob. It's, it's, they're they're a fucking mob. They're a mob without guns, but actually in a way worse because. They are a mob that can go target anyone, destroy their lives, both criminally and pr- criminal prosecutions and in the public sphere, which they're doing to every single January 6th defendant. The people I talk to say what's even worse than being charged and having to go through this legal process is what the media is writing about them. Yeah. That's even worse to a lot of these people. And so but these people have no conscience. They're sadists. They get off watching people in pain and something's got to give. I I just can't see how this can happen in perpetuity. And again, going back to Trump, he did have some ways to fix this. He could have blown up the top of the FBI, the entire DOJ. He could have pushed for Michael Horowitz issued a whole report talking about FBI agents breaking protocol, breaking laws by accepting gifts from journalists uh, going to games together, going to golf tournaments, et cetera, et cetera. Had a whole report on that. No criminal prosecutions of that. Nobody was watching them criminally to see what was happening. If a few heads would have rolled, even at the FBI, and said, you're leaking, that we know who was leaking information. I mean, Andrew McCabe, he lied three times. Nobody prosecuted, nobody charged him with that. Nobody prosecuted him for that. So when the top level gets away with with being in cahoots with the media, to cover up what either the FBI is doing or to target other people, um, you know, not one head is rolled, not one. Well, look, it works. You know, it works. Yep. It makes yes. the FBI's job easier. You know, the journalists get their clicks and their headlines and they become heroes to their 
followers. It's just, it's, the, the real, the biggest issue is, you know, this is unchecked. Where are the Republicans? You know, where are the people that hold office right now? What are they doing? And we saw that they didn't really do anything. I mean, you have Liz Cheney's lead is, you know, she's a quote Republican for however long she stays in office. And I don't know if she'll get reelected. Well, look, uh, we have to if we get the House back and we have to, number one, get rid of Kevin McCarthy. He is not on our side. Uh, Well, we didn't even get into that. Maybe next next week. Maybe next time. Yeah. The 13 Republicans that he allowed to vote for the infrastructure bill. Um, and he's not into, but we have to have a fighter and we have to do exactly what the Democrats are doing now. The minute we take over, someone takes over the speaker's gavel, you, you start not one committee, you have like 10 select committees. You go down the list, go all the way back to Russiagate, Gate, go through the impeachment, the intelligence community, go through the Kavanaugh thing, which was 400 page report still languishing there with criminal referrals. Nothing ever happened obviously to January 6th have. And as far as I'm concerned, that's all I want them to do. I don't care if a Republican Congress does nothing else, but investigate and go all the way back to the beginning of uh, at least the Obama administration or the, the second term when all of this really accelerated. And then certainly anything that happened the first two years of Biden, Hunter Biden, the laptop, where is that prosecution? Where is the prosecution into possible tax fraud? that a Delaware uh, prosecutor was looking at and then just delayed until after the election doing anything. And now here we are a year later, there's still nothing. So that's what I want the Republicans to do. And I think that that is what most rank and file Republicans want. If they take over Congress, it is revenge time. Yeah, that's and, not going to happen. I mean, I already know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to spoil the ending for you. Um, but no, nothing. Now you happen. really... Now you made me sad, so you know what I have to do. (laughs) This is going to be my happy place now. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's a great way to end the show with the Love Boat theme. Instead of spinning our wrists? Okay. I'm I'm going to use the out bump. I'm going to put that in. So it's going to be... going sailing away to somewhere that is not this fucked up situation that we're in right now. We started off with such hope at, on half the hour. Yeah, then, well, we always start off with hope where the love boat is concerned. But, you know, things just went man overboard, you know. <laughs> we're all jumping. We're all walking. We're just plane. jumping man overboard. I'm like, just get me to Puerto Vallarta. You know, where's Julie, the cruise director? Let's go. Ugh. Anyway, thank where's you so Isaac? much for listening. Where's Isaac, more well, importantly? Isaac, oh, you need a drink from Isaac. And I'm just oh, like, yeah. get me the fuck up. I'm diving off the boat. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Happy Hour. And please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes, Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. And we'll see you next week. Exciting and new Come aboard We're expecting you